You're listening to The Blank Page Podcast. I'm your host, Paige Patterson, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. This is a space where I get to talk to creatives, entrepreneurs, and storytellers about what it means to be on a creative path, how to deal with the high highs and the low lows, and how to stay well along the way. As a creative myself, I am no stranger to riding the roller coaster, discreetly crying on the subway slash not so discreetly crying in my car, getting in my head, focusing on results, and just not having a good time. So my hope for this show is to create a community where we can all come together, lift each other up, remind each other to have fun, and feel fortified in returning to that proverbial blank page again and again. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy today's episode. What's up, friends of the blank page? Oh my gosh. So, so, so excited to share this episode with you guys this fun-ass Friday. It's such a fun episode with one of my closest friends, uh, Mr. Neil DeStolfo. Um, He, as I say in the interview, was definitely the most requested guest, and I got so many questions from Instagram that I'm pretty sure all of the rapid fire were straight from the gram for him. Um, Guys... It's so good. It's also so exciting because this was my first uh, remote interview uh, using Zoom. So that's opening up a whole new door to so many guests. So they don't have to be local. We can chat whenever. And so that's very, very exciting. And um, yeah, I hope everyone has a great weekend planned. I think going forward, I'm just going to be releasing one episode a week, like a sane person. My bestie was like, girl, you're releasing so many. I was like, I know, I'm so excited. She was like, don't run out of content. I was like, yeah, also, it's just going to be so much better for podcast workflow to know when things are coming out. And I'm sure it'll help all of you guys who are listening to know that you're getting an episode on a certain day. So I'm pretty sure it'll be Mondays, Monday motivation. And, uh, you know, you'll get a great, great interview with someone who will hopefully inspire you and get your week started right, you know? Anyways, I love you all. I hope that everyone's feeling great, feeling creative. Thank you guys so much for being in this space with me and enjoy Neil. I know you're going to. Well, should we get cracking? I'm so excited. Yay, let's do it. Okay, Blank Pages, I am here via Zoom call with one of my best friends on the planet, Mr. Neil DeStolfo. Hi. <laughs> Neil, you literally, okay, so I put out on the gram as I am want to do like questions and you have more questions than anyone yet. And oh also, you're the most requested. So you're ah! fan fave. Don't I just feel like the bell of the bowl? <laughs> okay. Well, we have to start this conversation with a compliment shower. Oh, let me, let me, um, let me put down my umbrella and just be uh, prepared to um, bathe in this. Go yeah, ahead. Take off your slicker and galoshes, hon. Okay. <laughs> okay, Neil, you are one of the kindest, mm. most considerate people I've ever met. You're also one of the most talented and memorable people oh. I've ever met. Wow. So fucking funny. 
so self-aware, always growing, always inspiring everyone around you. You're always curious about things. You're a jack of all trades in so many ways, sometimes to your detriment, which maybe (laughs) maybe we'll get into. But um, I mean, honestly, you're just a goddamn star. And I think everyone who meets you knows that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, I take that in. I thank you so much. My pleasure. Um, And I will just say it's why, I mean, obviously we speak, you know, many times a week, sometimes every day, Yeah. but listen to every podcast. And so it is wild to, (laughs) I feel like I'm just listening and that I have a voice in this. I'm so excited for it because I I am so, um, I was going to say in awe of, but that makes it sound like I... I can't believe you're doing this. Of course I can believe you're doing this. Um, and uh, I just so enjoy it. So I'm thrilled to Aww. be here. Thank you. I'm so glad you enjoy it. And I'm thrilled to have you here. Um, you're also one of the most creative people I know. So let's kick it off oh. talking about your creativity, boo. What? Okay. Tell me all about Tiny Neil. Oh. What are some of your earliest memories of creativity? Did you always know that you wanted to be a creative person? like as a grown up as your job um tell me all the things i tiny neil was a star obviously popped out of joni well not popped i was a c section same so oh yeah yeah i um so i was very carefully extracted from joni as my mother um the best the best oh she's great what a what a mensch um I always felt called to express, take up space, mm-hmm. um, share my voice. Um, super, super curious, very adventurous kid. Um, uh, what's the phrase? March to the beat of my own drum. I was mm-hmm. okay. Um, so I, I feel like I was always doing that. Like in the, um, you know, when I was in what kindergarten or something at, at um, graduation you do like a little recital thing. And I was like, well, I must sing the solo in the still of the night, which is like, why would you make a five-year-old sing (sighs) in the still of the night? Oh my Um, God. (laughs) So I sang that. We sang that. We sang like Bye Bye Blackbird, which is like, I'm pretty sure a depression era song about like grifters. So, um, and also I had to slow dance with, uh, uh, a kindergartner named Shelby, uh, female identifying, and as a queer person, even then I remember being like, mm, "Shelby's fierce because she has a great side pony." Oh my but god! I feel uncomfortable <laughs> slow dancing. With you. Um, but I was like, "Let's give him a good show." So, <laughs> as a kid, you know, and I did like, you know, I, I, um, Joni would have. Uh, her exercise bike in the basement, and she had Gloria <laughs> Stefan live with the Miami Sound Machine. That, oh, the best VHS! And uh-huh. so I would sit down there and just dance, and I learned like every Gloria Stefan song. Um, and then my mom bought me a Gloria Stefan song book, and we had a piano, and I would kind of teach myself the music and sing along. To I didn't song. know you played piano. Did you take lessons as a kid? Never. And as um. As Nika will tell you, I have perfect pitch. Is I'm what. sure. 
<laughs> so as a little kid, I was Obviously. just like sitting there. I was just like sitting there and I could hear. So I would just like plunk it out. I, I never played piano, but it was just to accompany myself in our sad, unfinished basement. Oh, you, Gloria, Stefan, if you want to, if you're listening and you want to pause this and listen to um, Cuts Both Ways by Gloria Stefan, <laughs> the, <laughs> the saddest ballad. It's kind of a deep cut. <laughs> oh, oh, I knew the whole, I knew the A sides, the B sides, I knew everything. I'm um, dead. Traumatic when my parents got me tickets to see her at Giant Stadium. I'm from Long Island. And um, so that was, I think, going to New Jersey. And um, there was too much traffic. So we didn't get to see her. And I was so upset. So anyway, always called to express, um, had no idea of it as a profession um, until I saw Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. The best. Oh, I was like, what is this? I want to do this. Um, Which, of course, like every kid wants to just like, you know, ransack thrown homes and play jokes on um, two adults. But I was like, I, I want to be seen in this way. Um, and uh, I didn't know what that meant. But then when I was in like fourth grade, I found like a little ad in our local paper for auditions for Peter Pan at the <laughs> Sid Jacobson Jewish Community Center. Aww. And I, I said to my mom, I was like, we must audition for this. So I went in, I sang happy birthday, got cast as Peter. Dead. Uh, oh, Slade. I, and I have watched this. Uh, they taped it. I've watched the VHS back recently. Were you the like, vo- wow, I'm good. Oh, the voice is sky high. Oh. To say I'm a soprano, if there was something <laughs> above a soprano. <laughs> and I had like seven solos. Um, and, you know, it was just like, I just, I, that was like such a pure expression for a little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that you found it yourself is like classic Neil. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, I was Let driving. Let me be my own agent real quick. Like, well, then I said to my mom, well, we got to get an agent. So oh. she took me into the city. We got an agent. I was background on one episode of Law and & Order. And then <laughs> we were like, I got to get a bigger agent. So went and met with three agencies and I don't remember. I would love to know which ones now. But Me too. Shit. I know. I know. I um. They were like you. I, I wore glasses, and I had a lazy eye. But it only. It wasn't like full on lazy. It would like kind of drift if yeah. I was tired or if I wasn't. Um, like one eye was stronger than the other. When I was a kid, I used to have to wear an eye patch. Um, Aww. to like strength. Oh my god, the cutest. To strengthen one eye. And um, so anyway, one agency was like, if we're going to work with you, you have to get that corrected. And I was so self-conscious about it. And my, we were kind of so upset by it that my mom was like, if that's what this industry is, you know, I, I don't want you to do it. Mm-hmm. Right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that, that was like fifth grade. And then going into sixth grade, we, my school joined two other elementary schools in the district. And so middle school was like all these new kids and I sang in chorus and I got made fun of for having such a high voice. And, um, and that was pretty much like, Oh, I will never express again. I was Mm -hmm. so terrified of being Mm. um, bullied for being gay. And, um, and so I hid my creativity for 
really a long, I mean, except for like with my really close friends who, right. you know, um, I'm still super close with Rachel Zeidman, lifelong Rachel Zeidman friend, is who, also going to be on this pod. Oh, please, please. Um, so of course with her and, you know, my other really close friends, um, I was always creative and expressive and all that stuff, but um, very much put on the straight seeming thing. Um, like really was into this idea of being an overachiever and very responsible. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't, I, I liked this idea of presenting in a very shiny, um, composed, conservative way right. and privately suffering. Right. That was a lot of, like I really identified with stories where characters were suffering in silence and the nobility of that. Mm -hmm. So I did that. I went to college. Is this, am I taking up too much time? No. Okay. All right. Um, so it's just because, yeah, we usually have dialogues and now I'm like, all oh, right, we're a podcast. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is not a phone call. <laughs> um, so I went to college. I went to a, a school in Vermont, very small school called Middlebury mm -hmm. and um, political science major. Um, and I joined the crew team. Again, like noble suffering, the the hardest, I mean, like practice starts at 445 on a freezing lake in Vermont. Um, how much can I suffer? How silent can I be about it? And, um, and I, you know, I thought creativity was silly. I thought it was useless. I thought it was right. indulgent. I thought that people that had creative pursuits were irresponsible, couldn't do anything else, mm -hmm. um, didn't mind lives of poverty and maybe where they were just interested in pleasure. Right. And um, clearly pleasure was really not something that I was um, comfortable with experiencing. Yourself. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, no, I think I'm choosing um, the most difficult things that come um, really not easily at all. Yeah. And, um, and at college there was an arts requirement and I, I took an acting class because, I mean, you know, I knew that I wanted to be an actor. I right. just never thought that I would have enough courage to go for right, it. And right, I, right. I took this class and as part of the class, you had to audition for the plays that semester. And um, a, a professor saw me and wanted to cast me in a show. And I was like, I don't think I can do this because of the crew team. And um, we worked it out with my coach where I could do it because it was kind of just during winter training. I'm so glad your coach was able to, was like game to let you do that. I feel like. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. I mean, thank God. Cause also like, what was I trying to do? Be an Olympic rower? Right. Like, no, right. obviously like, you know me, I took it extremely seriously. And I know. I, was, I like, I, I know you did crew and we talked about it plenty, but now I'm thinking back to like early morning warmups in grad school. And I'm like, no duh. That guy was there before everyone <laughs> with like the most special breakfast that he had just yeah. eaten, like on top yeah. of his shit. Yes. I college for me, like you a must lot have been of like, what why I, why is no one ready? Oh, All well that, you know, that's a huge thing. And that plagues me to this day. Where yeah. I, you know, I wanted, I wanted a more intense experience than we had. Yeah. I, you know, and I talked after the first year, I remember sitting with Tyne Raffaelli, um, a director in our class who had gone to, uh, I think this school is called Guildhall in London. Yeah. yeah. 
And I was like, it's a more intense program, right? I mean, what is it boot camps and people bleeding? Who's suffering the most? Yeah, I really was like, this can't be. And then um, I, I at some point was just like, there's, there's, um, there's not a tremendous amount of nobility in suffering when you actually have a tremendous amount of privilege and you don't have to suffer like that. Right. Um, you know, pleasure is a really important part of life. Mm-hmm. And um, it's something that I've learned from you and uh, other friends, seeing how you can treat yourself. And, um, treat yourself. Yeah, really like enjoy and indulge in, in little things. Um, so anyway, yes, very grateful to that coach for letting me do that. And um, What play was it? Oh, God, it was this fucking weird British play by this um, playwright called Snoo Wilson. And the play was called Vampire. And I auditioned. He wrote a monologue in for Charles Dickens to come back as a ghost and um, plague this woman. And um, so it was it was like a sketch character. And I came in with just a huge choice. And um, I remember the professor who was directing the show was like, I didn't think that could be done like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was like, well, I truly didn't even read this play. So I don't know what this is about or really like any other way of doing that other oh than God, what I worse, but This is what makes you special. <laughs> I remember seeing you in grad school callbacks and being like, I have never seen anything like this in my life. How did he just think of that right now? How? Like, that is the craziest, most outlandish choice I've ever seen. And it totally fucking works. Like, I think um, you couldn't help but be yourself even in a time when you were still hiding a little bit. You know, it's amazing. I think that that's what scares me so much about my creativity sometimes is mm-hmm. I don't know where it comes from. I mean, you know, I have a spiritual practice and, yeah. and I, I'm a chant. I really believe like creativity is not something that we own. It's something that we um, are the conduits for. Right. It's that Elizabeth Gilbert, if you've seen her TED talk about the muses and creativity. Right. And or genius. Red Big Magic. Yeah. Right. It's something that visits us. It's not yeah. something that we own. And so when it comes through, you know, you just want to be the channel for it. And that um, it, it's something that I constantly am like, how do we trust that? How do right. we, how do we clear the way and trust that something's going to happen if I just get on stage? And, um, because it doesn't always. And, Mm-mm. you know, I, I think that obviously part of what our practices are meant to lead us to is a consistency or, you know, that's kind of the deal with professionalism is you want to kind of get rid of as many factors as you can to make sure that um, you have given yourself the best shot yeah. to, to be that conduit. But right. yeah, I didn't, you know, especially in college, I also think like, you know, on, on this podcast, I've, hear, I've heard a lot of actors talk about like the stakes of things. And when, when you don't want something, it's easiest to kind of be in touch with your creativity. Totally. And so really, I, I had no sense of anything. I'd never seen a play at school. And um, I mean, I'd seen very few plays in my life at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't have anything in my head as far as like how it should be. And really, I think like, so I did, so I did that. And then I, I ended up quitting the crew team my senior year. I did a couple plays. And then I came wow. out of school with, uh, with a contract to work for a consulting firm in Manhattan. 
Um, and before I was leaving school, a professor that had worked with me, there was a, a couple, a married couple, Richard Romagnoli and Cheryl Ferrone. And they, Richard was the one that cast me in the first show. And then Cheryl cast me in these two faculty shows my senior year. And so I got like course credit, which to me as like a good student, I was like, okay, this makes sense. Right. You were able I'm to justify a, it. Yeah. I'm getting a credit for it. Yeah. Um, she took me aside before I left school and was like, um, I think you're going to come back to this at some point. And oh. um, you're too good to be satisfied with doing this at, um, at the amateur level. Oh, wow. So I'm just letting you know that when, when you're, you know, that you're going to come back to this. And when you do, you can let me know. Um, How did you like, feel about that? Were you like, sure, sure. Or were you like, yes? No, I, I was like, oh my God. Yeah, right. I, <laughs> I, I was like, thank you for, thank you for caring. And thank you. You know, that's so flattering. Um, and for seeing me, you mm-hmm. know, that's a big mm-hmm. thing. We always want to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really was so grateful for that. And really what I, it was in many ways what I was waiting for. Like a lot of what I responded to as far as stories and narratives growing up were stories of like the chosen one. Like wow. Buffy was a really big thing yeah, to me, yeah, alias. Yeah. Um, these things about these exceptional people who suffer in silence, you know, dual identity, and they're chosen by um, an authority a spiritual thing or whatever, a calling. Mm-hmm. And they accept, you know, classic like Joseph Campbell Hero's journey. Like they right. accept the call, but they have to they have to refuse it first. Right. Um and then once you accept the call, you know, there's the suffering that comes. And so anyway, I'd been waiting for someone to kind of say something like that. And it's when she said it, I was like, oh great. But I was also like, no, I have this job. I I will not feel, com- you know, to me, being an actor meant waiting tables and sleeping on people's couches. And I didn't know, I just, I didn't know anyone that had ever pursued being a, an artist or being right. a creative. Right. And I really just knew what I'd seen in like the few TV shows and movies that I'd ever watched about yeah. that stuff. And also, I, I just finished listening to the Gia episode um and she was talking about inside the actor studio and i used to i had a job on campus at middlebury where in the language school where i would sort these um old like vinyl records of people singing in french and it was like in this what yeah it was so it was so i mean it was just like busy work for a kid to do and i got paid like eight dollars an hour or something but i would sit in this like closet and i'd bring my laptop and i would watch episodes of inside the actor's studio and i again like the noble suffering of the pursuit and whatever i really liked that but i was like i just don't see how one makes a life of this right and and who are you friends with and who is your family and i just couldn't picture it and um so then I left school. I did this consulting job for two years. I lived with three investment bankers. So two of, Oh, my God. Um, two of whom worked for Lehman Brothers. Um, also, like, I don't know if you're able to say what your consulting job was, but like the fact yeah. that you're now <laughs> doing what you're doing after doing that, I'm always like, what? I know. It's so funny, though. And how did you even get into still- this consulting job in the first place? 
So I was a political science major. I was looking for jobs in consulting finance. I thought I was going to do economics for a little bit. And um, like just through like the Career Services Center, there was a posting for this consulting thing, which was headhunting. It's mm-hmm. like leadership services and executive search. And um, the woman who hired me had gone to Middlebury before me. And it's like very soft skills sort of consulting. Mm-hmm. Like the, the partners would basically be hired by. So when I got hired, I was hired to be a research analyst in the CEO and board of directors practice, um, which meant that. I was looking at profiles of uh, like Fortune 500 CEOs and people appointed to the boards of directors and um, learning about what gave them their skill sets. Um, like what if I used to do these studies that would like end up in the Wall Street Journal and stuff called like root to the top. I know it's crazy. crazy. Well, because even, I mean, you know this, I even did this job on a contract basis Yeah. for like- Like in grad school. Oh Yeah in the summers in grad school and then and even third year if I when I could balance it a little bit better and then for years after and it was just me and these studies were showing up in like the Wall Street Journal <laughs> I was like oh my god oh my god yeah it's wild um but really like I think you know I was on a path at that firm to become a partner mm-hmm. probably by like a very young age right I was being groomed right uh, it was very conservative um, I loved the people. I'm still friends with a good number of the people. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, I, I, I could see that path mm-hmm. and it looked like a house in Greenwich with, you know, three kids that all go to boarding school right. and you wear these suits and you vacation in these places. And this life that when I was growing up, I really thought I really wanted to be a wasp, like really right. bad. Right. I was obsessed with like boarding schools and Ivy League institutions. And I really, I idolized that. Um, and, and you were a little Long Island cashew. I was, where I was just, I was also terrified to go to public school. I <sighs> heard rumors of Korean gangs coming from Queens and oh, beating people up. my God. And I was like, uh, Dad, um, can I go to boarding school because the Korean gangs? And my dad was like, what? No. <laughs> Um, which wasn't, you know, like, I'm so grateful that, uh, but also he was like, if you really hate school after a year, we'll talk about it. Right. Um, so yes, it's, it was so exotic for me and it was just something that I, I saw in movies and I, I was just imagining that it was something that I couldn't attain or achieve. And then being in this career and having gone to this school and, a lot of my friends had these lives um, and I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm headed for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, the recession happened and like 20% of my company lost their jobs and I, I was not one of them. And I kind of in the back of my mind, I'd started auditioning for things through backstage mm-hmm. and doing extra work. And I, I, in the back of my mind was like, oh, maybe I'll get fired. And then that'll force me to go be an actor so you, like, or like wanted what? to get fired. Totally. Totally yeah. wanted to. Yeah. And then I I mean like obviously didn't because I love stability and you know the, the accolade of having made it through that layoff mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I was like, "Oh, I think that, you know, I probably won't have the capacity to quit. I just don't see myself taking the driver's seat and doing that. Um something will need to happen for me to make a shift." 
Mm-hmm. And then when nothing did, I, I did have to say like, oh, wait. So I'm 24. I'm closeted. I um, am in this job that I, I wouldn't say that I hate, but I was like, I really don't think that this is what my life adds up to. Right. And I had booked an independent pilot through Backstage where the actress playing my sister had gotten her grad degree at Juilliard and she was like, you should go to grad school. And I was like, for what? And she was, because actually I was looking at grad school for diplomacy and international relations. Oh my God. And she was like, for acting. And I was like, I didn't know that existed. <sighs> but, and she was like, yeah. And so for me, someone who very much like Gia loves like education and institutions and like, I was like, oh, cool. I can do this in a very safe way. Right. And um, an elite way. Where, oh, I loved, you know, elite. Yeah. And um, I was like, great. So I started um, like practicing my grad school audition pieces in an empty studio, like a block from my apartment. And I, um, I was rehearsing Shakespeare monologues and that was my only time ever having done Shakespeare or really like I'd never even really seen it before. So I thought that you do Shakespeare with a British accent. I was going to say, can you let the crowd know that you did not do Shakespeare in your natural accent or? I really didn't. So my first audition was at NYU and um, I had prepared Hamlet, of course, because, you know, I literally didn't really know any other Shakespeare's. And um and I had a call, I got a call back and then I was, I had to do Hamlet for Mark Wing Davy, who's a British guy, asked me to do Hamlet and I did it. And, um, and then the next week I was talking to a friend um, and who had trained as an actor and had gone to Bada and um, she was like, well, what's your Shakespeare? I was like, Hamlet. And I was like, and my accent is so good. And she was like, what are you talking about? Oh. I was like, well, my British accent is like, you know, oh, this too, too. And she was like, you can't do that. Oh. And I was like, but that's what you do. You do Shakespeare with a British accent. And that's what I did. Yeah. And she was like, no, you don't. Oh. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeesh. I mean, also, I was just like, I don't know. And but I feel like you were probably in a better position than the rest of us who were like told, like, don't do that. It's, it's overdone. Like, there's only so many monologues in the Shakespearean canon. Like, who cares? If you like it, do it. Do it well. Like, I think that you were kind of unbridled because you didn't know any better. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've benefited from that for a really long time. Yeah. Like, stumbling into places and being like well i don't know any better so i'll just do what i you know here's my best guess right um without really thinking or without overthinking it and i i think that um my creativity does best when i don't overthink it and i tend to overthink things mm -hmm. and so you know really having to step out of my own way is part of my practice but in situations where like I, I can't overthink it because I really just <laughs> don't even have a thought about it. Mm -hmm. That's just when it comes from the gut. And right. um, it's just like, you know, I was very authentically representing what I cared about. And I was just going to these rooms and um, being like, I think someone's going to see me. I mm -hmm. think someone's going to get it because mm -hmm. I also was so repressed in um, most of my life 
at that time that those rooms were places where I knew that I could be accepted yeah. for being a queer, you know, I would have, I wouldn't have called myself an artist, but that's what I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And they just felt like safe spaces where I, I was showing up hoping that they would see me. And I did operate with a fair amount of faith, just being like, I think, I think one of these is going to work. Right. Yeah. So then you went on to Columbia. Yeah, where I met where you. Where we bitch. met. Yes. Got your MFA. Mm. Um, and really kind came of- Came out. Came, came out as gay out. at Columbia. Yes. Thank In you. our voice class. Yes. Thank you, gay fairy godmother, Kristen One of the Linker. best moments, I think, of our whole uh, education. I mean, what, definitely one of the top five of my life. Yeah. I so yeah. magical. So fun. And then you, I feel like we're so savvy with uh, industry stuff. I feel like all of your past uh, experience as a professional in a more corporate Mm. world really made you, you were a resource for all of us. Like you changed the showcase game at Columbia because you knew how to network and you knew how to get industry butts and seats. And I mean... I I am so grateful that I, that you were in my class and that I learned so much from you about all of that stuff because you get a great education in terms of art in graduate school, but the business is a whole other thing. And I'm mm. I was so impressed with how you had such a grasp on that. Mm. Thanks. I mean, I um I benefit from one of my best friends being an agent. So hi Rachel. So I feel like I you know I I always picked her brain. Right. And, um, and was also able to just be like, they're people, mm-hmm. the, these people that we, you know, the broad category industry, we are industry too. Um, right. we right. are all people mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just really appealing to them. I think that, um, just speaking to them as, as people and considering them, you know, I, I definitely didn't view it this way then, but now they're just collaborators and they're, exactly. you know, they, they have a different skill set, but when you talk to them, you know, many people that are in these more um, administrative or uh, what would like office oriented or, you know, representative production. Yeah, exactly. Like the executives. Yes. The, what we would maybe want to call the less creative aspects of our business. Mm -hmm. They all got into it because they love the creativity and they love the art and, um, and they're also just humans and everyone has a family and friends and certain stories resonate with them and they feel seen by certain mm-hmm. things. And, um, and then also I think the, you know, what I had the benefit of for a while was just a lot of time spent in self-reflection. Yeah. Um, like I, the way that I came to figure out that I, or, or have the courage to, pursue acting and come out was doing like a lot of journaling. I didn't really have anyone to talk to or I, I did, but I didn't feel comfortable engaging people about, you know, my sexual orientation and sometimes my creative pursuit. So I would journal a lot and it brought about a fair amount of awareness of who I am and, um, a sense of, um, deservingness you know like coming out in some way like I wish that everyone had an experience of coming out because it really is like a defining moment when when a person gets to say actually I deserve to be happy right and um, that's what I'm telling you when I come out it's that 
I'm telling you that I've decided that it's time for me to be happy mm-hmm. and I'm going to accept um, the discomfort. And, you know, I had so much privilege. My coming out was really supported. And I was in a situation where I didn't feel any sort of danger or threat. Um, but for those who do come out in unsafe situations, even more so, they're saying, you know, I deserve to be happy above all else. And um, I will care for myself in that way by, yeah. by doing this. It's like yeah. I stake my claim. So I think that, you know, when I think about this industry and um, a lot of actors, a lot of creatives struggle with um, feelings of like low self-worth, and I certainly do too, I try to remember um, that I, I um, like, what do I want to say? I deserve this. Right. Like, um, in Buddhism, there's this idea of basic goodness. Like we're all born with basic goodness. We're all born worthy of what we want. And um, the conditioning of our lives, you know, we get a lot of shit tossed on us of, you know, you don't deserve it and right. you know, you're not special. Right. And who are you, who you're a you cog in the wheel. Are. Everyone has to work. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, when you, when you come out, you know, as in, as a queer person, as an artist, you know, in whatever pursuit um, where you feel that you're taking a risk by pursuing it, you are, you are saying, I trust my own basic goodness and I deserve this. Mm. And once you've done that, you really owe it to yourself to, to go for it. Right. Um, and it's also, you know, I am so privileged to get to pursue this. And I, I'm so grateful that I, that I did come out, that I am pursuing this. And right. so on many days when I'm like, oh my God, is this going to work? Mm-hmm. I just kind of think like I've done so much to get here. This is truly, this truly exceeds my wildest, well, not my wildest dreams. Cause you know, I, I think I'm going to be a star. And you got I'll, some wild dreams. I believe you're oh, going to be a star also. Right. Wild, wild dreams. But really they, I, you know, I, I think like what grad school for me and, you know, the years after was just being like, oh my God, I'm doing this. Yeah. I am walking this path and I've signed up for a life that I, I'm so proud of. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that I really, I try to walk with that when I'm approaching kind of anyone or any situation. Well, you got into this a little bit, but now that you are walking this path, what are some of the, I know you have journaling, you can get into that more, but what are all the practices that you have to stay motivated in your magic and your integrity and inspired? Mm. So like super practical, um, like my morning routine, I love a routine. Mm-hmm. I just had a, a reading with an astrologer and she will tell you, tell me that my Capricorn moon means that I like stability. Oh, for sure. So my morning routine is like I uh, Palo Santo my space. I vacuum it every morning. I also have carpet and a cat. So it's like if I don't do that. I get it. That's what I did this morning at 7.30 a.m. Oh, at 7 o'clock. Sorry to my neighbors downstairs. Yep. Um, I meditate um, it's usually a mindfulness meditation. Sometimes it's a Tibetan Buddhist practice. For those who Kong. don't know, Neil is also a certified meditation teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'll either do just like a mindfulness practice, which like uh, Vipassana, just like general awareness, noticing what comes up and um, either being curious about it or like 
returning to the breath as the point of awareness. Or like, I really love this practice lately called Tonglen. It's a Tibetan Buddhist compassion mm-hmm. practice. Mm-hmm. And it's a visualization one where you imagine on your inhale that you're breathing in something uncomfortable, the physical sensation of tightness or roughness. Mm-hmm. On your exhale, you're um, offering yourself the antidote to what uh, is like kind of ailing you. So it's a really nice thing to check in each morning and be like, what did I wake up with? And um, what do I need? And can I offer myself that? Um, mm. And it also gives me the sense that, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, this is all just in my mind. Like my right. whole, this whole existence is made up. And so, right. It's a story I'm telling you. Yeah. It's like, what do I want to do today? Like what, you know, what am I taking on? Um, then I do my morning pages. Mm-hmm. Um, then I will do my creative writing. Um, and then if I've done all of that, by the time I leave the house, like really, if I, if I haven't written in the morning, like if I haven't sat down and done something creative, um, I feel very anxious for the rest mm-hmm. of the day. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm losing time and, um, when am I going to fit this in? And, you know, I usually am then bouncing around many places through the day. So if I haven't carved out the time, it's likely, you know, late, late night when I need to write, which is a really fun time, but right. um, it's more like a, I can't go to bed until this is done mm-hmm. rather than a, this is the best time for my creative expression. So those practices and then like uh, what I'm consuming is really important. Yeah. Yeah, let's get into that. Yeah, so like it's really important for me to see people being courageous, um, to see people sharing themselves and their unique perspectives. Mm -hmm. Um, So wherever I can get that, like I'm I'm actually like really inspired and I rejected this for a while because again, I was like, that makes me gay, but (laughs) I love fashion and fashion designers. Oh, Duh. Amazing. Right. Duh. I mean, you know, preaching the choir here. Yeah. It feels, you know, seeing them and they get to be inspired by like, you know, the fucking leaf that they picked up off the ground exactly. and the way that my mother wore her hair when I was five. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then I saw this movie that no one knows about. So the indulgence of being an artist in their world. Um, same thing with like Chef's Table on Netflix, seeing the way people take influences and interpret them and then uh create with them yeah um it sometimes makes me anxious to take in stories or too much about people doing what i'm doing like yeah i yeah like i do a lot of sketch comedy character work i'm writing some tv stuff now and it it sometimes makes me anxious to hear about tv comedy writers because i think that either if they're doing it then there's not space for me or if I'm doing it differently it's probably wrong that's so helpful Um, for you to notice that that can be triggering you know so you can be aware of it when you do choose to watch it or just abstain you know yeah and it's like you know the the industry thing is funny where it's like I have to know what's going on right we have to do our homework but also it can be so insular like yeah it's amazing that you're drawing inspiration from like culinary arts and fashion and all these things because really like creation is all the same thing right and mm. the more that we can draw from the world around us the less we have our heads up our own asses 
Yeah. Because then who are you creating for? I mean, like, I'm obviously creating to express what I feel called to express, but like, I always want to have an eye on who, who's going to consume it and what stories might resonate. And also like the universality of all of us. So Mm. when you get too stuck, like, you know, I, I, there's a certain um, voice of comedian that really resonates with me. I think, I think these young queer comedians, like sometimes called alt comedians, like, um, one of my favorite podcasts is Las Culturistas mm-hmm. on the Ever Dog Network. And if you, every guest that they've had on, I just, their sensibility is so funny and fresh. And, but I, I can get stuck in an echo chamber of that voice. And then my voice starts sounding like that voice. And yeah, it can either be like, okay, what am I even saying anymore? Or then what makes me, you know, what do I really feel called to say? Um, so being careful about that, uh, I have to be like, you know, I have to feel good physically. So like, right. I have to work out every day or mm-hmm. most days. I have to be wearing a cute outfit. Yes. Like, you know, yeah. it's really important. It's really important to feel like, because what I'm trying, what we're trying to do as creatives is share something right. and take up space and say, um, you know, here I am. And if I don't feel good about myself, it's really hard to do that. And self-adornment is art. It's, it is oh. art and it's an extension of your art. It's Even just the way that you say self-adornment. I mean, that's such a beautiful it's everything. way. Of, yeah, it's such a beautiful way of putting it. Like I, I, that's something where I, you know, especially being raised male, I, you know, we're never, there's no ceremony about getting dressed. Right, right, right. Um, so you know, I didn't really think that that was something that I was allowed to do. Mm-hmm. And so now it's like, you know, I, I, it's not that I'm wearing like the most beautiful frocks when I walk out the door, <laughs> but it's like, I I want to just feel good about yeah. what, I, what I'm doing. And like how it's a I'm conscious doing. choice. Yes. I think that the more that my day feels like a conscious choice, even when I'm doing day jobs and mm-hmm. getting pulled here and there mm-hmm. and feel like, oh man, I didn't actually choose. I mean, I did, I chose this, but obviously it's not my first choice of how I would spend my time. The more, you know, looking at my, like, I don't know, my sweater and being like, well, I chose this right. and I feel good about this. So like, I have to have a really nice coffee every afternoon, mm-hmm. which is like my simple indulgence. But I, mm-hmm. it is a moment where I'm like, well, I chose this and I really like this and I get to be present with this. Right. And so even if I'm going, I tutor and even if I'm going to like a kid who is going to fart on me and porn's going <laughs> to pop up on his computer and <laughs> parents are going to send me a like nasty email Sounds later, like a joke. It's not a joke. <laughs> not a joke. <laughs> P.S. I got locked in a bathroom today. Accidentally. I mean, I locked myself in. But That's was- so scary. How come every time that happens, and it happens a lot in New York, I feel like, especially in like little like bars and brunch places. Uh, and every time my heart is like beating out of my chest. And I'm like, this is it. This is the time. Oh yeah. my God. No one's going to hear me. Uh, did I even yeah. phone? Like, fuck. And it's like when you, when you really, you know, I guess now as like a comedy writer, when things like this happen, I go, this is fun. Right. Bonus. You know? Yeah. It's like broad city. Material. It's like, how calamitous can this be? Right. Um, but it is, a, you know, that was like a moment in my day where I was like, okay, 33, soon to be 34 year old man locked in a 10 year old's bathroom. <laughs> Um, banging to get out. <laughs> oh, 
like, well, at least I chose my oat milk cortado. Right. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Um, well, we talked about what you're consuming. I have so many questions from so many people, but I think I oh. want to save them for, <laughs> for rapid fire. Oh, okay. But I want to know, I feel like you talked a little bit about it in terms of, you know, um, getting too caught up in things that are similar to what you're doing, but what do you feel is the biggest hindrance to your creativity? I was thinking about this one. I mean, I, I think I, I can overthink for sure. Um, in Buddhism, there's this thing called speedy busyness that, you know, it's just like, I like to feel productive. Right. I like to check things off of a to-do list. And my creative process when I'm writing takes a long time. Like, mm -hmm. I like sketching character stuff because it can be quicker. Like, my right. Instagram stories are actually, like, a really fun creative outlet. and So good. I feel, I feel pretty fulfilled when I make some of that stuff. Um, but I like it because it's quick. So when I'm doing, like, longer writing projects, um, I, I can really s suffer from uh, perfectionism. Right. Uh, from like hearing different voices in my head telling me that this actually isn't very good. It's not very unique. It's pretty reductive. You know, having done the artist way a couple of times, there's like the hall of monsters. Oh, and, yeah. You know, these people there for me, a lot of them are these like very um, bougie um, upper crust creatives or like just the the gays that when I was in like college were like very mean to me because mm. I wasn't interesting enough. Mm. Or I mean, I also they could see that I was closeted and were resentful of that. But I worry sometimes that I'm actually, um, yeah, this thing of like who do I think I am mm. to be like trusting. imposter syndrome. Yeah, imposter syndrome, and um, also just feeling like um oh i i actually can't yeah like i can't be as weird as i want to be mm -hmm. because there's a format and like i really like structure and formats to things right i like to know when i start writing something i'm like okay it's a it's a half hour um script so it needs to be between like 26 and 32 pages and here's the act structures that you need and a story b story c story like i like learning the format for things and i like coloring inside the lines mm -hmm. um my my actual voice and sensibility is a bit messier it's a bit um, right it's it's like less i actually do better i think i express more honestly when i'm not trying so hard to fit inside of something right like as an actor i remember like coming out of school i i was obsessed with like com uh comparison too that's a big thing yeah i was like comparing myself to these boys coming out of like yale and juilliard and i would see some of them in the audition rooms and everyone wore like the same button-down shirt or like henley and the same like black jeans and boots and I, I bought all of it and was like I just have to be the most convincing version of that yeah it's funny because now I'm like I mean I hesitate to even call it esoteric but I feel like your aesthetic and your vibe is way more way more esoteric and you know then might have been now I feel like it's way more mainstream because I feel like we're so 
we're a lot more open culturally mm. right now. Like mm-hmm. there's so much, I feel like there's so much space for so many voices right now, but yeah, I mean, I you're think a wackadoodle. And, yeah. And I think that that is how, um, you know, also like I do all these different things and it's hard for me to, to, um, uh, like when I think about all the things that I do and all the, um, kind of sensibilities that I have, like the one that you were speaking about with like showcase and industry presentation. Mm-hmm. And then like, I do really bizarre character work right. and I make these really weird choices as an artist, whether in the things I'm writing or the stuff on stage and the two don't always square right. in my mind based on who I've seen be successful. Mm-hmm. And, um, but also like that was just, that's all my own perception as I'm getting older and meeting people that are sharing stories and also hearing about creatives and what they're actually like, like people that I imagine are so wild and crazy actually have a sensibility for business as well. Right. Um, and so I feel like, oh, great. These are, you know, they're not, it's not like I have to banish one part of myself to have a place in this industry. And I think like, yeah, I'm really inspired. Obviously, everyone's talking about Phoebe Waller-Bridge, but Anything. someone that can make such a variety of material in mm-hmm. so many different mm-hmm. formats. Um, I just watched Jenny Slate's Netflix special. I was obsessed. Yeah, she's super inspiring. Yes. Because I mean, what we're having now, like the girls that created Pen15, like we just want storytellers who are sharing something uniquely from them. Only yeah, they- authentic. Like... Exactly. And it's like, I think we all have stories that only we can tell. Oh, yeah. If anything, if this podcast has taught me anything, it's that. That like every single person has a very special offering and you can't take a single person for granted because everyone has something inside of them, which it reflects back to me. And I'm like, oh, shit. No, like I'm good. There's something in there. It'll come (laughs) out like all good. Yeah. Yeah. The hope is just that we give ourselves enough space and we also are surrounded by the people that let us do that because right. especially like as actors, I think that what we're told a lot is you've got to be what they're looking for Yeah. rather than be yourself, be the version of the story that you want to tell. And if that's not right for most people, then that's not the stuff that you're meant to, to work on. Exactly. I mean, you're not going to get most of what you audition for anyway. So right. You might as well, I mean, like, you know this, like my auditions, I haven't auditioned in a, a minute, but my auditions, you know, I will show up barefoot with a pocket full of dirt mm-hmm. and decide. Clown makeup on. Oh, full face of clown makeup for a TV audition. Like these are, because this is the story that I want to tell. And the mm-hmm. likelihood is that I won't get it but I have absolutely no shot of getting it if I'm not doing what I want. Um, If I do get it, it actually doesn't feel very good. And that's uh, a disservice to me, really, because um, it actually solidifies a version of myself that is not true. Right. So if I book a job doing a, you know, playing a ver, you know, being in drag as one of these like kind of straight laced boys, um, it's not right. That's not who I want to be. That's not who I am. And I don't want to tell myself that that's the version of me that people want. Right. Because um, 
I don't care if that's the version that they want. It's it's not what they're right. going to get. Right, exactly. And so really like what's happening now is um showing up as the version of myself that I that I want to be. Mhm. And trusting that the people who I'm meant to work with and the stories that I'm meant to tell are are the ones that kind of get it and want to come play with me. Well, let's talk about a story that you wrote that you've been telling. Let's talk about Mr. Miss America. Neil oh. has a one-man show. And um, yeah, why don't you talk a little bit about that and um, the inspiration behind that and what's next with it? Yeah. Um, so I have a solo show called Mr. Miss America. It's a comedy. Uh, I played Derek Tyler Taylor, who is competing in the Miss Southwestern Virginia pageant to become the first ever Mr. Miss Southwestern Virginia. So the show is the pageant. And I take the audience from offstage when I'm kind of relating to them and bringing them up to speed on what the pageant is to on stage to compete in swimsuit and talent and question and answer. And it's a story about a boy who really wants to be accepted and seen by a community that has not done either of those things and traditionally does not see people like him. And um, he really wants this thing and he's courageous. And um, I mean, like I, love this character in how unapologetic he is. Yeah, he really and, is. Um, and some stuff happens throughout the story where he's just met with some obstacles, whether um, realizing how, um, how unwanted he might be or what parts of himself will he have to uh, reconcile or cast out if he wants to be accepted. Can he actually get this thing that he wants? Can he actually be seen for just who he is mm -hmm. and what resonates with him? Um, and then it's, you know, and, and really what the show talks about and what the point of inspiration was, was thinking about kids. And for me, it's particularly like queer kids, but it's really any kid who feels different and other and really wants to be seen and accepted. Um, for who they are and um, how do they take the knocks and keep on going mm -hmm. um, with a sense of joy. And I mean, the show is a comedy. It's um, hilarious. It's amazing. It's, yeah, so... it's super. Yeah. It's, it's not autobiographical at all. So no. um, I really delight in the way that the character speaks and yeah. takes up space. Um, and really, like, I did not, when I started writing it, I really didn't mean to write a solo show. I thought I was writing a play. And then I just got so into the character's voice. And the structure, again, structure became really clear where I was like, oh, it's a pageant. Right. I'll just do the pageant. Um, and finding the convention of offstage, onstage just became a very clear container. And, and a pageant is broken into acts by itself. So. Right, right. I was kind of like, okay, and let me just give him enough obstacles to keep the thing moving forward. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a character piece. And, and really, it's just an opportunity to spend an hour with this person who, um, you know, is, I just love. And um, 
am grateful that that story came through me because I know it's so crazy. I'm like, I really, I'm just like, um, and so, right. We're moving forward. I mean, it's very early days to say anything definitive, but it will keep going. And yeah. What's the goal for you? The goal right now, I mean, the goal is for the show to go to, uh, I mean, I want the show to be on Broadway. Yeah. I mean, the, sure. so that's the dream. Like the goals right. along the way are like, it'll have a workshop and then it'll have a run, like an off-Broadway run. And, um, but really like, I would love for this show. And then I'm, a, I'm writing the show as a pilot. Um, and so that would be getting to build out the world of this character and, and seeing who he is. Um, his worldview is just so, I just, yeah, it's so... Um, bold and mm-hmm. vulnerable and mm-hmm. um he takes so much joy so in pure it. yeah yeah it's just it's a story and a a person that i really love and I'm, I'm just so excited to share it with people i mean like we've gotten to do it a bunch of times and every time i'm just so amazed by the fact that people that really you know most of the time the audience is majority um non-queer right and the fact that they're finding points of entry for this character in the story um it's really amazing for me as a person to just be like oh everyone has felt this way everyone no, it's has- such a universal story like it seems like it would be niche and it's not at all and that's the really the part where as someone that um struggled for a long time about like what's the use of this pursuit like what's the use of us being artists and mm-hmm. storytellers mm-hmm. realizing that like we're up here to share in our lives like my life really when i think about it I am, um, I meant to live it for the collective good. That might sound super lofty and insane. But no. When I think about some of the decisions I make, I'm like, wow, this is a really wild life that I'm piecing together. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I take it on because I am meant in this lifetime to be a storyteller. And so the more I do, the more I get to share. And um, I think that that's why artists serve a function in society is to help heal people with the stories that they tell you know just in case someone doesn't feel courageous enough to talk about having been an outcast or the thing that they really wanted that they weren't allowed to go for um let me you know i'm so grateful for the opportunity to um to tell that story and let people in on the feeling of it again yeah. and see yeah. what they learn from it. Ugh. Well, I'm so excited. I'm a huge fan of this. Oh. And it's going to be amazing. Yeah. So many great questions. I'm just going to pop right into rapid fire. And most of the, I mean, I might put some of my own in, but most of these are from the gram because they're just so good. Okay. Are you ready? Mm. Okay. Yes. Would you ever get a piercing? Yes. I've been thinking about getting my uh my ear pierced. Where? Um where on my ear? Yeah. I was like the ear pain. You're like my ear bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um like what's that part called? The lobe? The hanging yeah, part. Yeah. yeah, the fleshy one. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. Maybe that's um I'm turning 34. Well, I don't know when this Your will come birthday. Out. Yeah, everybody wish Neil a happy birthday. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm turning 34 on the 15th. Coming right up. I was like, maybe 34 looks like an earring. Oh my gosh, yes. 
like a little dangle. You got a whole box of dangly ones at home. <laughs> Bangles, jangles, I'll taste gone. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, what's your favorite role that you've played? My favorite role that I've played. Um, I mean, Derek Tyler Taylor Derek in Tyler Mr. Miss America coming up. Um, my, my favorite role was in grad school. Your husband and I, John Garrett Greer. Yeah. Amazing actor. Um, we did Beckett's Endgame. Oh my God. It was so good. Yeah. And we split roles. So we, um, we switched roles halfway through the show, but you guys I, need to act together again. You're uh, really great together. I know. We were such a good duo. I mean, I, we're good together too, though. So oh, we, we were, were the traveling show. We uh, were. <laughs> yeah, it was so fun. Um, so that role, because it was, you know, Beckett and Absurdist Stuff is like, it is what you make it. I mean, totally. the, the text is kind of sometimes nothing on the page. So it was really fun to just like make a whole character. Like I was wearing these crazy platform shoes, covered my body in white uh face paint kind of and found this like old straw I mean the photo is amazing um and was just like he is what I make him and and his story really means something to me and I'm not concerned with uh how much of it the audience gets yeah um okay two people ask this kind of a similar thing so I'm just going to combine the two uh, who are three or four of your comedic inspirations that have directly contributed to your sensibilities? Ooh. Um, I mean, the gals of SNL in the late 90s, Ugh. early 2000s. Everything um, more. I had all those DVDs and watched them again uh, and again. Yes. The would, Rachel, the Cher, uh, the Molly, I mean, Diana. Yes. Sherry O'Terry specifically for what me. The fuck? Adele the Slut. <laughs> she yeah she really like the spartan cheerleaders nadine, nadine wait I what mean, was the oh colette reardon colette oh, reardon, colette reardon with her pills i i would watch that and just be like i have never seen anything funnier no. i don't understand how everyone doesn't want to talk about this at school seriously um so so yeah sherry o'terry molly shannon anna gasteyer rachel dratch um I mean, they'll they'll definitely be all women. Uh, the Christopher Guest stuff, yeah. Um, best in Show for mm -hmm, me. Mm -hmm. um, Drop Dead Gorgeous, like that type uh, of documentary. We would have been best friends. Oh, you, yes. myself, Janelle, and Rachel would have had oh. a field day. Yeah, I mean, this is how I, you know, there was nothing better than watching a movie in Rachel's. I mean, it's still one of my greatest joys, like Ugh. just watching a movie in a living room and yep. commenting and laughing. Exactly. Um, so I would say those movies. And then, I don't know. I mean, a comedian. I didn't get like a ton of stand-up. Like that's, that's not really be been anything. Um I don't know, like animals, like animals are so, you know what I mean? They just try so hard. I had a Your pug. Grow yeah. Oh my God. My cat's a fucking maniac. I had a pug growing up named Phoebe, Phoebe Chandra. Old Phoebes. Yeah. She changed her name a few years in. Um, she, you know, animals just like they try. So they're totally, they have no self-awareness. Yep. Um, and if you just sit and watch one, it's like they're, they're really just pursuing what means most to them. In the moment. And in most What does cases, Eckhart Tolle call them? He calls them uh, guardians of being. <laughs> oh, great. I would not call them something as profound as He's that. Like, I if call you my just cat wanna... a shithead most times. 
She's not a guardian of being. She's a guardian she's of her fucking guardian shit of my box. fucking stress. Exactly. Yeah, I'm like, okay, shut up. Oh my god. Um, yeah. So let's let's say that. And Jenny Slate, because she's top of mind, but she's Amazing. really yeah. I've been really inspired by her lately. What's your favorite place to get some mozzi sticks? Ooh, I love mozzies. <laughs> um. You know, I mean, a diner is pretty much always the best. But which one? The people need to know. Okay, so my diner by me, I live in Astoria. There's a diner called Mike's Diner that they just switched over from a breadcrumb, um, a breadcrumb coating to a cornmeal coating. Ooh. So if you picture like a corn dog, it's almost, it's like a shell basically. Oh, shit. Um, and I am a mozzi aficionado. And I can tell you that any place that says they have like handmade or like homemade mozzarella sticks, you fucking run in the opposite direction. <laughs> they're not meant, they're, they're from not Costco. Italian. You know what I mean? Yeah, they should be from a freezer in yeah. the middle of the country. Yep. Italians don't make mozzarella sticks. That's not a real thing. Yeah. The mozzarella is going to be too wet to actually oh. work with. Yeah, we don't need that. Yeah. So, you know, any diner. And I, as much as I, I will eat a mozzarella stick from anywhere. Um, I would say Italian restaurants are actually not the best places to order them. Mm. Good to know. Hot take. Hot tip. <laughs> um, what, this is kind of similar, these two. Um, how will you know that you've made it slash what does, what's your idea of success? Oh, it's really an easy question, so. I mean, when everyone in America knows how to spell Dostolfo, um, yeah. no. I, I, um, I do feel called to be famous. I will just be honest about that. Because Didn't what your I, astrologers say that that's just going to happen? Yeah. So we're not worried about it. <laughs> but in a way, just because I, Just you don't know, forget who did your podcast interview. <laughs> So um, don't forget your redheaded friend who needs a job. I also just feel like too many people feel shame about saying that. I like I agree. I feel like especially I mean? in the like art school world, it's like yeah. well, just like just want to do the art. It's like no, I actually grew up wanting to be on the cover of Cosmo. So yeah. yeah, it's not why I'm doing it, but if it wasn't something that I was calling in, then I'd I'd have like an oh shit feeling about right. what if this goes well, right? Um. But how do I know I've made it? I mean, really, like, when I – because I do – I want to be an actor, writer, producer, director. I want to have a hand I, – I always want to teach. Like, that's a mentorship and teaching yeah, is a big thing yeah. for me too. So um, I think just when I <laughs> – I say this now because I still have all these day jobs. When, I, when I'm doing this full time, by yeah. which I mean, like, creating – That's that literally – yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's that my manifestation list right now. That's just it. I just yeah. want to be doing this. Yeah. Like, Where um, really when I, the thing that I, that gets me most excited is uh, working with people that I really admire. Yes. So, collaborating. Yeah. Like I have a list of, I've had this list for decades of people that I, you know, if I could act opposite Kate Blanchett or mm -hmm. uh, that would just be, uh, you yep. know, uh, that's it. That, what what else is there? I right. don't care. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so to me, that's, it's more about the people that I get to work with um, than it is about like when I have X amount of money or awards, like, you know, I, I want those things for sure, but I don't think that's what I'm really clocking. Yeah. 
What's your favorite Ben and Jerry's flavor, honey? These people know me. Oh, they're tailored to you. But do you want to know? I have actually not had Ben and Jerry's in months. I know. You've been like doing Whole30 as an extended life. I know. I definitely have. I, you know, I like to tell my friends that I don't tell them, you know, that I ate a pint of Van Leeuwen last weekend. It's really just because I've switched. Which flavor Van Leeuwen though? Honeycomb. That's my favorite one. It's the best. It's the best one. But they have the best vegan flavors too. Like you don't know as vegan ice cream. Who has time? <laughs> Life is short. You know what I mean? Have for me. Dairy. I love a vegan. Some of my best friends. But you know, for me, there's certain things in this life where I, I won't be a vegan. I say that now watching them. In Says a mozzarella stick um, <laughs> ice cream boy. <laughs> we know your um, brand. Yeah, but Ben and Jerry's, I mean, I won't kick any flavor out of bed except Cherry <laughs> Garcia. <laughs> Don't you love that phrase? I need to use that more often. <laughs> but using it in terms of ice cream is the most <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh. Okay, what's uh, – did I already ask? No, what's your favorite candy? <sighs> Not big on the candy. Um <laughs> I, I mean, I really like chocolate. I don't really like shit, though. Like, if I'm going to have chocolate, I want it to be. I love chocolate-covered Oreos. Those are probably oh like. Oh, my God. So good. If I went to It's a about to be that season at Trader Joe's. Of what? Chocolate-covered Oreo season? Yeah, they do the chocolate. They do the holiday JoJo's. They do the peppermint-covered JoJo's. And then they do an entire box that comes in like an orange-like hexagon. You want to know how I walk by the um, snack section of Trader Joe's? Blindfolded? Oh, wearing the Handmaid's Tale bonnet under his eye. (laughs) Let me not look over there. I've yet to have, what is it, snickerdoodle or whatever? Cookie butter? uh, Cookie butter and the speculus. Speculus. None of it. Under his eye. Get it out of here. (laughs) (laughs) The slippery slope. It's, it's the most slippery slope. I know exactly what you're saying because sometimes I'm like, I'm not doing it at Trader Joe's. Like, I'm just not. And then sometimes, no. Oh, look how beautiful the packaging is. Here we go. And I go home with everything. Well, canola oil and sugar. In it. <laughs> I say this, but really, what I tried doing for a minute, I was like, you know what? I should have, I should have things for when I entertain. the number of times i've entertained in this apartment but i go you know what if i have a gentleman over i want to offer him something to eat you know what neil you offer him uh you offer him grapes and what's that chicka boom pop (laughs) 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 offer him boom chicka pop and call it a day because you can't i can't have those things in the house oh my god oh Okay, let me make sure I covered all these. I am dead. <laughs> oh. Okay, one more. Is it hard being that handsome? You stop. Wow. Um, honestly, some days. Some days, yes. Some days. I'm on the record. Some days, yes. Oh, my God. This is way too much fun. Um, so what is something that you think all creatives listening need to hear. It's usually something that you need to hear yourself. Be you. <laughs> be you. Yes. I might, we're like recording this through a, the Zoom thing. I might have blown out the audio on that. But it's okay. Really just like be you. Share your story. Be weird. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a, it's, um, that's what we need. 
that's kind of what I what I'm trying to tell myself every day is just um self self censorship is the devil. Ugh. It is. You got Ugh, and that. and I'm grateful for a friend like you cuz literally I feel like you're the first person I text when I do it to myself. Mm. <laughs> like yesterday after doing the podcast, <laughs> I'm I was a guest on a podcast mm. and I literally immediately after was like full vulnerability hangover. Did I sound like a conceited bitch? Like I feel crazy. Anytime I feel extra, I text you and you're like, "Nope, put it out of your mind. It's just not possible." Cuz it is like no one has time for that self-censorship bullshit and it it's just not true. It's the least productive. It's and if the anyone least feels informed. that way, fuck them. Yeah. But it's not my job completely. to feel that way. No, not at all. And also, it's just like, it's the least informed opinion we can have because it, it's made up in the absence of anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you don't know, this woman, Byron Katie, has this whole line of questioning of, you know, when you start to spiral and, and when you don't know whether something can be true and you give yourself the option of every possible truth, you're going to pick this. Sh- I'm going to pick the shittiest one. I'm going to pick the one that makes me a leper and a pariah and leaves me living under the bridge. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to choose that. Yep. I really. And so all these practices, all this hoo-ha goop, ba ba ba, we're all trying to do is stay away from the trolls under the bridge. And <laughs> AKA myself. It, they're all the voices coming from inside the house. So it really is like, um, just be yourself, be it boldly. And, um, you know, also don't be afraid for, you know, if other people don't like it or they have a different opinion. Right. You know, I, I take a fair amount of rejection and um, that's how we grow. Mm-hmm. So really like if, it just feel what I've learned, you know, is that sharing feels good when it's authentic and yeah. repression feels bad anytime. Yep. So um, between those two, I will always choose to share, even if rejection stings, it actually stings less than me repressing. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. So let me always, let me always try to share and let me remember how, you know, that the truth of that, I really try to remind myself all the time. It's like, well, you know how bad it's going to feel if you don't say this or share this right. or, you know, post this or email that person. And so even, and, and you know that if, if you do it and you start to feel shitty, it's likely in your head. Yep. So just, just knock it off. Stop throwing sand. <laughs> <laughs> love you so much this is so good where can everyone follow you on the socials slash i think you have some stuff that people can come see you in where can everyone come bug you i'm at neil destolfo um on instagram is the one i have most fun with um and i'm a house performer at ucb um, here in new york so uh we are actually just wrapping up our mod night sketch season. It's been my first season on a house team called the Glamour College. Love them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a, I don't know when the page, did this come out before next Monday? It could. Okay. Well, if it does, we have a show on Monday the 18th. Then I host a holiday variety show at UCB in December, mm-hmm. December 20th. Um, where I'll do some sketch and characters and joined by some very funny people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's all I can really 
concretely share. Yeah. Watch this space. Watch this space, baby. Like and subscribe. Yes. <laughs> well, I love you so much. This is like such a dream come true to do this uh. with you. I, I got a hell of a lot out of it. So I know that everyone else will. And we can't wait to see what you do next. What a ding, dang, dong pleasure. <laughs> and following in the line of Nika y el Papas, uh, ending with compliments for the host. Um, you really, I mean, like you're one of my, the great gifts of my life. Uh, you know, we all. Very mutual. It is Columbia lore when we all first spied Paige Patterson <laughs> in her tunic <laughs> with tights. No pants on. No pants, Nancy. Uh, um, and immediately I was like, oh. She's a star. I hope to be friends with her one day. And to think that we're going on 10 years. I know. What yeah. a gift. I mean, and you're just a continual creator. And, um, you know, I always, I, I always feel so much better when I speak to you and, uh, and think of you, uh, which I do uh, much of the day. Ugh. I love you so much, friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love you. Okay, bye. Give Stella a big smooch. I think she made maybe a couple cameos, but not as much as I expected. Fucking rat bastard. (laughs) Okay, bye. Bye. Friends, thank you so much for tuning into the Blank Page Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to the show, rate, review, and if you have a friend you think might benefit from these conversations, let them know about it. Spread the word. Let's create a community where we lift each other up, support each other through the shitty times, and celebrate each other's wins. Please let me know if there's any way that I can support you in your journey. Thanks so much for listening and have a beautiful day.